That's true. Well, good morning. It has been awesome to get to worship with you this morning. I tell you, one of the first things that just stands out about this place, when you're staying up here and you get to be here very early, I mean very early on, there were people praying over these seats and praying in these places. And like he said, I'm from Kentucky, and what we say about that is that fires me up. That gets me fired up. I love it. And it's very evident that the Holy Spirit's here. Very evident. I just encourage you that. And I love, I'm just so thankful that we get to be here and worship with you and lift up the name of Jesus today. You know, I, uh, uh, like Fontaine said, we're, we're from Georgetown, Kentucky. Uh, I'm a maintenance man there in the local school system, an electrician. And my wife's a teacher in the school system. We have two kids named Ben and Anna Kate. But also on top of getting to be a maintenance man, I get to be a pastor at at the church there at Central. We've been coming down for many years. And um, it never fails when we come. It's all hospitality. is just crazy. And you always say, thank you for supporting us. Thank you for supporting us. But, man, that's all wrong. Because when, when we've talked about it, we've not been supporting you. You've been supporting Central. I can't tell you how many times that this place has been a springboard for people to serve and for people to get connected with one another. And so I just want to say thank you for supporting our ministry at Central. It's been a very vital part of that, and we, we appreciate and love this place. You know, I'm going to ask you all something. I, I, I ask our own church often. I say, man, do you love this? Do you love the Word? Does it eat you up? Does it consume you? Are you into it? You know, because a lot of times we say we're in Christ Jesus, and if you're in something, something I always say is you've got to be into it to be in it. You, and when you're into something, there's effects all around you when you're into something. I, if you go in my basement, there's hunting and fishing gear everywhere because I'm into the outdoors, and it's very easy to see that as soon as you walk in. If I walk into your life this morning, is it very easy to see that you are into the Word of God and that you love it, and you're consumed with it? So let's get into it. Would you pray with me as well? Father, I just pray this morning that it, that it wouldn't be me up here, that it'd be you. We pray that you just be honored and lifted up. God, if there's any pride in this room, I pray that you suck that pride out of there and start it with me, I pray. Have your way in your place. We pray that it's a horrible day for the enemy. Don't just challenge us, but change us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, like I said, I'm from Kentucky, and we're going into summertime, and, and I don't know about around here, but in Kentucky, what happens during the summer is the county fair comes to town, right? The county fair, and every good Kentuckian takes his family to the county fair, right? And I like the fair, and it's got rides and games. I don't like the rides. Carnival rides all go in circles, the Ferris wheel, the octopus, whatever. I don't like that. And then another reason I don't like it is because I'm a maintenance man. And I know for 100% stuff breaks, right? I've always pictured the octopus throwing me way over the hill somewhere at the ball, ball field or something. So I like the games. And my kids like the games. And I know they're impossible. I know they're rigged. But I want to try to knock the weighted balls, bottles over. I want to try to put it through the bent hoop, right? And it's gotten expensive lately. Used to it was like a dollar for three balls. Now it's like $5 for three balls. And so when our kids went here a little while back, I was trying to find the best bargain for the money. And I, we were walking along, and we found this one game that had huge prizes, massive prizes, and it was the ring toss. 
The ring toss, y'all know what that is? Where you throw the rings on the pop bottles and they're supposed to stick and, and stay there. And they, and they often fly off, right? There's a reason the prizes are so big. <laughs> it's impossible, right? And I saw it was $5 for 60 rings. 60 rings. I thought the kids, I'll make them do it slow. We'll get our money's worth, right? And we'll just, we'll throw those. And we walked, as we were walking up, there was a college-age kid that come up, pretty awkward, he whispered in my ear. He walked up. I didn't know him. He said, throw two rings at one time. Throw two rings at one time. I was like, all right. So we get up there, pay the $5. My kids get the bucket that I thought was going to last forever, and they just start throwing. <laughs> They're throwing those rings, and before long, that bucket goes shoom, down to hardly nothing. And there was only two left, and I stopped them, and I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. These two are dad's, right? These two are mine, and I wish you could have been there. Because I picked those two rings up, and if ESPN had slow-mo on this, look, I just lofted them out there like that, and they sailed through the air, and they sat down on that first row of all, and they jiggled like that. The top one flew off, and the bottom one stuck. And I was like, I turned around, and I looked, and my son was already like this. My daughter was going, pink fluffy unicorn, pink fluffy unicorn. And I looked at my wife, and there was pride in her eyes like I'd never seen before. The people, the workers, it was so funny. They didn't even know how to get them down. They were like, are we supposed to do it? Are we supposed to get them down? You know, and, and, they, and they began getting those prizes, and they got it, and we spent the rest of the evening just parading up and down. And Anna Kate, my daughter, she'd give it to Ben and go, Ben, it's your turn, and he'd carry it for a little while. You got that picture, is it, of my kids? Is there a picture of the kids? Nope, no picture. Oh, I had a picture of the kids holding it so you could see the pride. But I, I thought... You know, that's a lot, I like a lot of people's lives spiritually. A lot of times you can get in a, in a routine of just throwing rings spiritually, spiritual rings. Going to church every Sunday, going to small group, praying, reading the Word of God. Vacation Bible school, just different, just constantly throwing, throwing the same rings over and over and over. And it feels like oftentimes they hit and we don't really even realize what the real prize is. What the, what the real prize is. A lot of times we think the prize is a successful ministry. A lot of times we think that prize is God's joy or his peace that he offers. Or perhaps we think that prize is his purpose. But I'm here to tell you the real prize that we run this race for is his presence. Just the fact that he's in us. Just the fact that he's with, with us. One of my favorite things in all the Bibles, God is with us, Emmanuel. That he's with us, that, that prize. And oftentimes we find ourselves throwing those rings with very little results in our own lives. Very little effect on our lives and in the lives of others. 1 Corinthians 15.10 says this, but by the grace of God, 1 Corinthians 15.10, but by the grace of God, the grace, that's probably the most misunderstood oftentimes word in, in the church today. By the grace, that means divine influence. By the divine influence, a lot of times people see that as just something to rescue rescue somebody out of the well. And yes, it is for that, but even more so than that, it's to keep you from falling in the well. But by the grace of God, that if I, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. Let me tell you something, we have too many people claiming the grace of God today with very little effect. You know, a lot of times there's a lot of effect right off the bat and a lot of change right off the bat, but then it often becomes mundane. It often becomes, I am what I am because of what I do, not who I do it for. 
You see, financial investors, they'll tell you, don't just throw your money into the market here and there and everywhere. You may have good intentions and still wind up bankrupt. But you say, well, Pastor, the word never goes out void. Things I do never go out void. You'd be right. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 58. It says this, so my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and steady, be immovable, always work enthusiastic for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. But there's three key words right there, for the Lord, for Him. You know, I... Our team that's come down here to, to speak to you all, if, if we've come down here to experience another culture, or if we've come down here to have an exciting kickoff to our summer, you college age, if that's what you've come for, it's all the wrong reasons. You know, as we were in the orphanage yesterday holding, holding the babies and hearing their stories, I, I was moved to tears. But you know at what point I was kind of moved to tears was not from their stories. I began to sit there and think, God, I'm here for you. I'm holding this young person for you. And the Lord began to work and, and, and speak into this message yesterday somewhat. I, you know, we need to simplify. We make it so complicated oftentimes. Pastors love to sit around and we love to talk about church models. But let me tell you something. It's not a formula. It's not an equation. It's not a model. It's a person. His name is Jesus Christ. And it's about a deep, deep love and respect for Him and who He is. A deep love and respect. And as I thought about that, that definition, you know what, what definition says deep love and respect? That word, adoration. Adoration. My boss at work had an infant that passed away of SIDS, sudden infant death syndrome. Many of you have probably heard of that or aware of that. And he was so moved to start a race in Georgetown called the Finley 5K. And he's raised thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars for that, for that, that disease, to, to research and do all that. I'll pay my $25. I'll buy a T-shirt. I'll give my little bit. I, I'll do that. But he has had huge effect and huge impact. Why? He adored that little boy. He adored that little boy. You see, that's the strength in any parent-child relationship. That's the strength in any marriage today is that, is that word adoration. It, it changed my life when I felt, I tell you what, many of you here, you may be like me. Maybe you were a pastor's kid. Some of you may be missionaries' kids. Let me tell you something. I, I used to follow because I knew it was right. I saw that it worked for them. I saw that it was good and all that. But at the age of 35, everything changed when I began to love him for myself. Oh, if you can discover that earlier than I did. To adore him, what that word is. Let me tell you something. If I could choose one word as you're throwing your rings out there for the Lord, if I could choose one word to walk up behind you the way that young person did to me to experience that prize in his prayer, I'd say, are you throwing them out of adoration? Are you throwing them? Just you and Christ, coupled with him in hopes that as you serve and, and, and live for him, that on somebody else out there, that when it hits, you fly off and Jesus is what's left. And he sticks I want us to talk about that word. You know what? It's, it's not used a lot, but it's overused. It's not a very manly word, is it? Most men wouldn't use it. You, you ladies, you can walk into a room and you can say, oh, don't you just adore my purse, right? Don't you just adore my outfit? But if I walk into a hunting camp with a group full of men and I say, don't you just adore my deer rifle? They're going to ask me to find a new hunting camp. 
right? It's just not a very manly word, but let me tell you something. It was a characteristic of some of the manliest men in the Bible. I heard a pastor say the other day, if a a man-eating lion came to the USA, he'd starve to death. No men left. No, No men of adoration. You think about David killing a giant at 12 years old, stepping out in front of an army who was cowarding. It doesn't get any more manly than that, yet he wrote most of the Psalms, a book of adoration. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me or follow along on the screen. We're coming out of 2 Samuel this morning, 23. 2 Samuel 23. I love this story. You know, when David took a census one time, it was recorded that Israel's armies was one million strong, one million people strong. But this story is about the three mightiest of them all, the, the three top men. And, I, and you don't hear this story very often, but, but I love it. I, this story has played a major part in the Lord working in me. And their names, those three guys' names were Joshabim, Eliezer, and Shammah. And if you have names like that, you better be tough, right? Let's start in verse 8. I'll read off this. These are the names of David's mighty men whom David had. Joshua, the Tachmanite, chief among the captains. He was called Adino, the Esnite, because he had killed, look at this, 800 men at one time. Keep going. And after him was Eliezer, the son of Dodo the Alhite. I have no idea how to say that. One of the three mighty men with David, when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle, and the men of Israel had retreated. He arose and he attacked the Philistine until his hand was weary and his hand stuck. Look at that. It stuck to the sword. And the Lord, pay attention to that, the Lord brought about a great victory that day. And the people returned after him only only to plunder. And after him was Shammah, the son of Ajih, the Herite. The Philistines had gathered together into a troop where there was a piece of ground full of lentils. So the people fled from the Philistines. Look at that. He stationed himself in the middle of the field and defended it and killed the Philistines. And then there it is again. So the Lord brought about a great victory that day. You hear these things, killing 800 men when everybody else had fled. That's not army rangers. That's power ranger stuff. It's impossible. You you hear that stuff and you think, well, that's impossible. That's impossible. How how could one man kill 800? It's because it is impossible. It's like those games. But that's why it said the Lord brought about a great victory that day. And I thought, what was it about these guys? that caused him to do all those great feats. And I think we see it in verse 13. Let's let's keep going. Then three of the 30 chiefs went down at harvest time and came to David at the cave of Adullam. And the troop of Philistines encamped in the valley of Rephim. David was then in a stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. And David said with longing, look, the king said longing, oh, that somebody would give me a drink of the water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. So the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate. And David, and they took it and brought it to David. Now, did you see that picture? A bunch of guys sitting around the campfire on the outskirts of the Philistine camp. And David's from Bethlehem. 
and they've got Bethlehem all surrounded. The Philistines are in charge there, and he's reminiscing about the well water. Perhaps he's talking about when he was playing kickball as a boy. I remember how cold that water was. Maybe when he was a shepherd and he would come down and he would drink out of that well. He's reminiscing perhaps the way Fontaine may have about an L8 back in Kentucky, the favorite pop that everybody drinks. And that's why people will bring them to him. That's what these guys were doing. They heard the king had a want. And they, the rest of the army, the rest of those 30, they went back to doing their duties. They just went back to, to go to sleep or whatever, but not these three. They looked at one another and said, you hear that? king wants a drink. And if you can imagine, it says they broke through the lines. They broke through the encampment. I thought, that's what adoration does for us. That's what happened to me in my life when I began to fall in love with Christ myself. It breaks you through the lines. And they fought their way to the well while one's carrying the canteen. And then they, they come back and they give it to David. And I thought, man, these guys, they didn't just love their king, they adored him. And that's how God used him in such my way. And I thought, what was it about him? And here's the first thing I want you to think about, adoration, characteristics of that. Here's the first one. They stuck it out. In two of those three battles, it said when everybody else had fled, they stationed themselves in the middle of the field. Just them and David. But they were willing to stick it out. When you adore somebody, you're willing to stick it out for. Let me ask you something. Who do you stick it out for? You see, I believe the rest of them fled. You know why? They were there for their country. They were there for the pride of Israel. They, perhaps they were there for their family, or they were there for freedom, not these guys. They were there for one. They were there for David. They were infatuated with him. They were all about him, and it, and it caused them to stay when everybody else had fled. Let me ask them, who do you stick it out for? I bet, many, I bet your church is like Central Church. There's so many willing to stick it out for you when you're going through a tough time. It's one thing to stick it out for somebody. It's another thing to stick it out when you're the one in the middle of it. Who do you stick it out for? When cancer comes, do you stick it out for yourself so you can live a little longer? We know that to die is gain. We know that we have died to ourselves, right, in a spiritual sense. So why do we stick? No, we stick it out. We fight and endure cancer. Why? For the glory of God. Why do you stick it out in your marriages when they're rough? Do you stick it out for your spouse that you'll be separate from? One of you is going to go at some point, or do you stick it out and do it out of obedience for the glory of the one? Who do, who do you stick it out for? You know, I, I thought about the verse in Revelation 3.11, look, I'm coming quickly. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. Hold on to what you have. I thought about Eliezer as he held that sword, and his hand was froze to the sword as he was fighting, it said, holding on. There's a picture that I often get. It's a gruesome one. I hope you forgive me for it. I was hunting wild hogs in Florida. And I would probably never do this again. It was, it was over the top a little bit, but they used dogs. And these dogs would corner the hog. And then they had what was called a catch dog. And I remember riding through the swamps in the van with this pit bull. And he was all cut up and bloody and nasty looking. But he had the biggest smile on his face. Because <laughs> he was going to do what he was bred to do. What he was made to do. And we got on a hog. The, 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 the dogs had cornered him. And the guide said, count the seconds. I said, huh? He let that dog go. I got to two. And the squeal started. And then we run in and kill the hog. He grabs it by the ear and he holds it. And he will not let it go. 
And he will not let it go until the hog's dead and you cut the ear off while it's still in his mouth. And I thought, I've thought of that often because he has no chance of killing that hog. He has no chance of killing that pig. He's waiting on the master to get there and do what he can't do. His only job is to hold and to hold on. I thought that's the way it is in our spiritual lives. Our, the victory is not our. God claims the victory. What he calls us to do is to endure and, and, to hold, and to hold on. And I love how it says David was always in the field with him. The master is right there with you. Yes, he calls us into suffering, but the same God that leads you into suffering, that leads you into battle, will be the same God to take you out of it and to claim that victory. If we endure, if we hold on, we got to keep studying. We got to hold on. We got to keep seeking, keep throwing those rings, keep fasting, keep praying, but we have to do it for him. To, to experience that effect and that, that impact. And a story of victory awaits us, a story of plunder. It says the others came only to plunder. Let me tell you something. The reason I get to stand here and preach to you today is only because of plunder. The fact that somebody else was holding on and enduring before me. I, I got the privilege this morning of sitting out there and my dad praying for me before I came here. And then I got to pray for him before he goes up and preaches. And my son sent me a text, 16-year-old, going, Dad, I'm praying for you as you preach. And I thought, plunder. That, that's the plunder. Your kids, those of you who maybe have kids far from the Lord right now, keep holding on. Keep praying. Stay on your knees. Fast for them. Wait for them. And, and the day of plunder's coming. I believe that. I, I believe that. Just keep being faithful. First, you stick it out. Here was the next thing they did. There's a time to stick it out. There's a time to set out. They, they set out. They, they were willing to go. The, there was 30 other men. What did they do? They just went back to doing their duties. They went back to chopping wood, sharpening spears, fetching water, guarding the posts. But see, these guys weren't just about fulfilling their duties. They weren't just about teaching Sunday school. They weren't just about giving tithe. They weren't just about reading their Bibles or quitting some of those sins like cussing and drinking and, or something like that or, or smoking or whatever it is that the Lord's convicting you of. They weren't just doing what the king commanded them to do. They were doing what pleased the king. That's the definition of adoration. That's when it goes to a whole new level. When, when it's, you're seeking to please him. His wants. That's when love, even when it's forced, even when you've got to be disciplined to get into it and sit on it, it'll turn into adoration oftentimes. My, I remember my wife's father was very ill. He's passed on now. But he was experiencing amputations, and my wife is an only child, and there were things that needed to be done that a daughter shouldn't have to do for her dad. So I had to step in. It was very awkward as a son-in-law, some of the things that I needed to do for him. I remember rubbing lotion on his legs and bandaging his wounds and taking him to an appointment, but something changed as I began to do that in our relationship. I just never didn't see him as my father-in-law anymore. I began to adore him. And when we'd go to the appointments, it wasn't just I was consumed with getting in and out and getting back to the next thing. Now I wanted to hear good things for him. You see, his wants now became my wants. And let me tell you something, church. What you want, that's what you'll pursue. That's what you'll go after, what, what it is that you want. 
Galatians 1.10 says this, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. There's a time when you stick it out and a time when you set out. Let me ask you, what have you done just to please God lately? Just rant, just to please him, not just what he's commanded you to do. Not just out of obedience, but what have you, to please. Much the way they brought Fontaine L.H. to put a smile on his face. He didn't command them to do that. No, they were compelled to make him happy. What have you done for God like that? Is everything we do for him out of conviction all the time? Or is it ever just compelled to make him smile and to see, see what he does? That's, that's when it begins to go to a whole new level in your life. And then lastly this. If you have verse 16 on the slides for me, 2 Samuel 23, 16 through 17. It says, so the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines. They drew water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate. They took it and brought it to the David. But look at this. Nevertheless, he would not drink it. But he poured it out to the Lord. And he said, far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is this not the blood of the men who went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore, he wouldn't drink it. These were the things that those mighty men done. I thought, if I just risked all that, and I bring you a drink of water, and you pour it out, I began to think, how arrogant would that be? But then I began to think. Look at what David saw. He saw these men bloody. He saw them fighting. He saw that they had taken men's lives, perhaps. They're sitting there breathing and all hung it over, and they were so excited to give it to him. How could he sit there in front of them and drink that water? That's what would have been arrogant. And I thought, man, that is such a picture of so many of us when God has poured himself out for us, and then we turn around, and we just want to fill up and fill up and fill up, never pouring ourselves out. I thought, that's what they did. That's what adoration does. You're willing to pour it out for somebody. They poured it out. They could have been thinking about a hundred other things, but their lives became meaningless to no other means except to do what pleased their king. You see, these men, they realized, till you have something to die for, can you really live? You ever read stories of the martyrs? You ever read about people who have been martyred? I was reading about John Rogers this morning who, who, was, who was martyred for <laughs> just standing up as a Protestant under Queen Mary. And I, I, I read how he was led to be burned at the stake and how his whole congregation was there and his children participated. One writer said it was like they were going to a wedding, that they were celebrating and cheering him on as he was tied to the stake the descriptions say he washed his hands in the fire and he raised his hands. It's hard for us to understand somebody pouring it out like that, but I believe God was pouring into him at that moment. You know, the, the New Living Translation of that verse we started out with in Corinthians 15.10 says this, but whatever I am now, it is all because God poured out his special favor on me and it was not without results. You know, many of us in here would like to say, and I believe we could say, I'd give it all. I would lay down. I would die. But I'm not asking you this morning if you're willing to die for Christ. I'm asking, are you willing to live for him? Because he poured it out for us. And we must pour ourselves out. But in order to do that, we must be broken. We got to be broken. 
You know, one of my mentors that I listen to often used to go to seminaries, and he would say, I see your course on New Testament. I see your course on Old Testament. Where's your course on brokenness? He used to say, everybody wants to know the Word of God, but nobody wants to know the God of the Word. We need to understand what it is to be broken and poured out. We're all the time filling up, aren't we? We're always full of ourselves. Perhaps we're full of our ministry. We're full of athletics. We're full of our career. We're full of academics. And when God goes to try to pour in, it just splashes out. But what He needs us to do, and what He needs us to do this morning, is empty ourselves. Just empty ourselves before Him. That way He can fill us up. And when He fills us up, you know what we do? We pour into our athletics. We pour into our ministry. We pour into our academics. It's a reverse cycle that oftentimes we confuse. What are you full of this morning? You know, if the praise team wants to come back up, Hayden, if you want to come and bring the team, I think they're singing Alabaster Star or Alabaster Jar in closing, rather. You know, I, uh, a lot of times when I'm preaching on a, on a subject the Lord's given me, I'll ask him, I'll say, you know, God, show me. Paint me a picture. And back when I was writing this sermon, he did that. I said, God, show me adoration. Yeah, you guys can come on. And um, he showed me. I locked myself out of the house. <laughs> you ever locked yourself out of your house and you try to use a credit card or something to get in? Well, I didn't have my wallet. And I was in a rush. My wife was waiting on me. And I was frustrated. I was cutting up plastic pieces in my house. And I kept trying to jab that in there and get in and get in and get in. I couldn't do it. I remember a neighbor walked by and looked at me funny. I thought, haven't you ever seen a man trying to break in his house? <laughs> but I... I walked away, and I thought, well, I'm going to quit. And I felt God say, go try one more time. I'm going to show you adoration. I felt it so clear. I walked back up. I hit that. That door automatically opened. And on the inside of there was a 70-pound yellow Labrador retriever jumping up and down, up and down, who couldn't wait. And I felt him saying, does your quiet time ever look like that? You ever there just waiting for him and wanting him wanting to see what he's going to do once he unlocks whatever it is you're going through that you can't understand at the time you're just wait, waiting to see what he's going to do because you know he's working a plan of victory for it if you'll be faithful and hold on that dog would follow me to the shower that dog would follow me to eat that dog follows me everywhere I go waiting for what me to stop and acknowledge it right where it is and you say, well, are we God's dogs? Let me ask you something. Would you leave your dog an inheritance? Would you die for your dog? But you know what? We actually treat him the exact opposite. Isaiah 30, 18 says this. So the Lord must wait for you. So the Lord must wait for you to come to him so that he can show you his love and compassion. I want you to know today, church, he waits for you right now. That's the God we serve that lowers himself like that. He pours himself completely out to wait on us. I felt him saying, that picture of that dog, that's not you, that's me. Just waiting for you to come in and spend time with me. Man, if you're here this morning, 
Let me ask you something, what are you full of? Have you been full of your ministry and not full of the Lord? Have you been full of your children and not the Lord? Have you been full of your academics, your career, and not the Lord? Maybe you need to come and, and pray with somebody this morning as they lead us and empty yourself, kneel at this stage. Let's, let's come adore Him together. Pour ourselves out before Him. Maybe you're here and you're a, a missionary's child or a preacher's child, and you know what I'm talking about, and you just need to say, God, I, I want to fall in love all over with you again today. That's when, he, that's when you begin to see Him use you. I no longer had to search for opportunities to minister anymore. They showed up at the door. You know, people say, pray for opportunities, pray for opportunities. You get serious about loving the Lord, you don't have to pray for opportunities. He puts them there because you're the one he can use then. Will you let him work this morning? I encourage you as we, as we sing to respond as they lead us.